morning we um, <clears throat> have the privilege of hearing from a good friend of mine, um, Don uh, Stubbs, uh, uh, used to be a student and employee at Moody Bible Institute, and now um, he uh, he is the uh, serves at Off the Wall Ministry as the um, one of the directors there. He also serves at the Branch Church as the pastor of discipleship and missions. Um, he spent 17 years in inner city mission, uh, ministry in Chicago, and now he serves in New Philadelphia. It's so very much the same. Uh, but uh, Don's role at Off the Wall, off the wall is to cast a vision. Um, he's a wonderful speaker. He speaks with passion, and he also works to develop the leaders there and spends a lot of time with the students. For me personally, Don is a good friend. He's a trusted friend. He is a wise voice. He is a man who loves Jesus with all of his heart. And, uh, and I'm just very privileged to hand over uh, this pulpit to Don today. So would you please welcome Don Stubbs. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Um, if you haven't heard me before, I just want to tell you, a preface a couple things about me. I don't normally go in a straight line. So it's more like a ping-pong ball. I, um, I just want to say that because I know a year or maybe two years ago, Johnny was here, and he is not like me. He, he's very, like, down the line. So I want to talk to you guys about discipleship, which probably surprises you, um, but it shouldn't. Um, if you meet someone and you get to know them, very quickly their passions come out. So if you were to spend any time with me, you would know there's a couple things I'm passionate about. Golf would be one of them. So if you're ever sitting at home and say, I'm going to go golfing, you should just say, hey, I'm going to call that guy Don because he loves golf. Food, almost of any kind, um, unless it's like anything I have to hunt and kill myself, I don't want to eat it. If I can buy it in a store or a restaurant, I'm good. Um, I, I, I love people. I love, I just think people make the world go round. <laughs> right? We hear that cliche, but it's true. I think this place would be horrible without people. Even with all their brokenness and their baggage, they just make life better and sometimes more complicated. But if you were to ask me the primary passion of my life, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that hasn't always been the case. My journey has been one filled with disobedience and a short period of denying my faith and God being faithful and bringing me back home. So in the midst of all that, um, I've fallen in love with this process we call discipleship. And here's why. I believe that discipleship is a God-ordained process to change the world by changing people by transforming people into the very image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, by changing our will into his, and by making our desires um, not so high on our priority list, but making his desires very high. So if you were to talk about discipleship, you could go all kind of places in the Bible, but most people will go to Matthew. It's a really good book. I'm going to read a couple of verses out of Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We all know it. We call it the... Um, the Great Commission, there's a reason for it. It's incredible, but it's also instructive. It tells us some very important things. 
So right before Jesus was to depart, he said this to his disciples. Actually, I'm going to go back. I have two devices up here just because I like them. And normally I say I'm going to do something then I always add to it. So let's start at verse 16 in Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to a mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Sidebar, when Jesus tells you to do something, you ought to do it. It's just a really good practical advice for life. If Jesus says do it, do it. It may not be easy. It may be hard. It may cost you a lot. But I tell you, it's still good to do. So, so they did, which would make them good disciples. They actually did. But it's interesting. It said, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And that doesn't sound like a good disciple. But I'm going to make a statement, and maybe you'll disagree with it. That's okay. I'm not saying it's the Bible. This is my opinion. Doubt is oftentimes the initiator of greater faith. Doubt is oftentimes the initiator of greater faith. Sometimes we look at doubt and say, well, how could he have doubted? You know, we talk about doubting Thomas and everything. I love doubting Thomas, by the way. Here's a sidebar. Here's one of those ping pong things. I'm telling you right now. Doubting Thomas. So we get all, and we, I don't know what, people watching online, can I get off this stage or can they see me? Okay, good. Not at our church. I got to stay on the stage. I wasn't raised that way. So we look at doubting Thomas and say, we can't believe he doubted. I would have been doubting Thomas. I'm not believing. I saw them crucify him. I saw him going. To, I'm, not, I'm not doing this again. He had my heart. I'm not believing. Unless I can touch, unless I can touch his hand. I understand why he felt that way. Even though Jesus told him these things were going to happen. Sometimes hearing something and seeing something is very different. So Thomas doubted. But when he saw the Lord, he fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. We don't know much about Thomas unless you read outside of the Bible. But it appeared that after that, there was no more doubt. But some doubted, it says. And Jesus came and said to them, I love this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I love that Jesus uh, sets you up. He said, so if you doubt, I just want you to know one thing. All authority is mine. So wherever I will send you, whatever I ask of you, no matter how difficult it appears, you can do it. Why? Because I have the authority to make it happen. All authority has been given to me. It's an incredible, rich theological statement. And I wish we had time to unlay it, but we're not going to because that's not our focus today. But if I ever come back, it could be. He gets into it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I want to stop right there. Go and make 
The imperative there is to make disciples. The go is actually as you're living life. It doesn't mean a geographical call to another country or anything else. It says as you are going, as you're living, as you're doing what you do every day, make disciples. So why? Disciples. So let's talk about, let's go back and jump into Jewish culture a little bit. If you were a Jewish young man, you would be training from a little boy, and you go through levels of schooling. And if you were good enough, after the third level of schooling, you might go up to Mark Maddox and say, hey, Mark. Maybe Mark was a rabbi in the culture at that time. He said, Rabbi Maddox, can I be your disciple? Mark would look at me and said, hmm, you're a good guy, Don. Why don't you go home? Why don't you do your father's business? Why don't you take a wife, have kids, and just be a good guy? You don't have what it takes to be my disciple. But you got to remember, every Jewish young man wants to be a disciple. That's the highest calling in the culture at that time. Or Mark's might, Mark might say, Student Don, yes, come follow me. You can actually walk in the dust of my sandals. You can learn what I do. You can learn how I think. You can watch me get up and lie down. You can watch my life, and then you could do everything I do. You can start to understand how I think, my philosophy, everything else, and then you can go and teach someone else. Yes, you may be my disciple. To be someone's disciple is not only to accept them, it is to commit to be like them, to think like them, to act like them, and then to repeat that process with someone else. You no longer are your very own. You become someone else's. In America, that's not popular. We are an independent nation. Now, I'm a patriot. I love this country. I served in the military. But it will never be a higher passion of mine than Jesus. Just not happening. And to be a disciple means that everything has to be submitted to him. It means to be a follower, but not only a follower, a learner. Someone who actually thinks through the process and says, how do I do it? And how did Jesus do it? One of the greatest questions you can ask yourself is how did Jesus take 12 young men and turn the world upside down? And there were more. There were women, children. Jesus had hundreds of disciples. We know that. One time he gave really hard teaching in Acts, right? And they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can follow? And at that point in time, it said many of his disciples left him. Not in Acts, I'm sorry, Matthew. Because Jesus wasn't in the book of Acts. That'd be difficult. <laughs> you guys could have corrected me. I don't care. My church does all the time. <laughs> and it said many of his disciples left him. And it says, then he turned to his disciples and said, do you want to leave? 
Great question, right? It's typically what a rabbi would do. Do you want to leave? Do you no longer agree with my teaching? And Peter looked at him and said, where would we go? For you alone have the words of life. Later on, Jesus said, flesh and blood did not. I meant later on, Jesus asked him, who do, you, who do men say I am? And the disciples said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah returned, and others. And Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter again said, you're the Christ. Literally meaning the anointed one. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But Peter, upon this rock, what rock? The rock of revelation that you are the Christ, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, Peter was starting to get it. He was starting to understand that Jesus was going to ask really difficult things. But he had to decide if he was going to follow Jesus even in the most difficult times. If he was going to be committed to teaching that may not even line up with his great upbringing as a Jewish young boy. All that learning. And all of a sudden Jesus is turning everything upside down. Think about this. For the first time in the history of Judaism, a rabbi went to a student and said, Hey, why don't you just come follow me? I never had to go begging anymore. A rabbi came to me and said, come follow me. Now, have you ever thought about ping pong? Have you ever thought about why grown men would leave everything to follow another man who just said, follow me? Doesn't make any sense until you jump back into the culture and realize that was their dream. And now a rabbi came and said, follow me. And they said, drop everything. And their dad was there. James and John's father was there, and they still, they left the father and everything, and they just went, and everyone said, oh, that's normal. That's not normal. That's insanity unless there is something so great that it makes sense. And being a disciple makes sense. So he said, all authority is mine. Go and make disciples. Do you have to worry about running into problems? Yes. Are people going to love it? No. But is it worth it? Is the biggest question. And actually, when I scream, I'm not really mad. <laughs> I just scream. That's how I grew up. Like, not screaming. I didn't grow up screaming. But I grew up with passion, and everything comes out weird. So I'm not mad at you. Everyone said, you're so mad at that. I'm really not mad. I'm actually very happy. All authority, go make disciples. It's a process. Well, Jesus, what are we going to do when we make disciples? He, so, you know, Jesus is pretty smart. Ever thought about that? I bet he was a valedictorian of his class. Or if he should have been. I know, he, he was a Jewish boy. He went to school. Ever think about that? No, we never think about that part of it. Who could, how would you like to be Jesus' teacher? Better yet, his mother. No, don't sign me up for that. I don't want to be anyone's mother, by the way. <laughs> and he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why do you throw that in there, Jesus? Seems a weird thing to throw in there. But it's not. Not for a disciple. Wonder why? One of the most important things a disciple can do is a public declaration of their faith. It's hugely important. 
we kind of look at it and we kind of make it, oh, do it, baptize, declare it before the church and everything. But there's a bigger reason. I think this is why it's in the Great Commission. Because I'm publicly declaring to a world that I'm his. That I believe his words. That I agree with his philosophy. That I want to teach his doctrine. I'm declaring that to a watching world. And that's important. More than you'll know because it's in our declarations. What we really declare and what we really believe that we will stand for. You know, the Bible says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to whoever believed, to the Jews first and also the Greek. It's a power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of his word. I don't care what the world says out there. I will not be ashamed. And so you declare it. And we take it, and we almost make it too small. Make it big. We had a service last night. That's why I'm here this morning, because we'll have service this morning. Perfect timing, by the way. <laughs> We're at the park. And we baptized like nine people. And it's not because we're special, don't get me wrong. We just had the privilege of baptizing. I didn't lead most of them to the Lord. No, actually, I didn't lead any of them to the Lord. But I had the privilege of baptizing. But we talked about the declaration that they're making in front of this group of people, these witnesses, and in front of God of, of the world. Baptism, baptism doesn't save you, but it does declare something to a world. And also declare something to you. So you baptize them. I had one of the ladies who got to lead one of the girls to the Lord. I said, you're going to baptize. She said, I said, that Bible literally says that. You brought her into this process, and now you're going to baptize her. She freaked out. I didn't care. <laughs> she baptized that girl. She came up to me afterward and said, that's the most awesome thing ever. I said, yeah, because when you make a disciple, it's awesome. And you get to share in that moment with them. And that re renews your heart for this process and your love for that person. So he says, baptize them. I love baptism. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know. I gave Mark all my notes. I said, do what you want. I don't even know what he's doing with them, but now I see them. <laughs> Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think that's important, too. The Trinity. You know the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it's all over the Bible. I get into so many conversations, and people say, well, there's only one God, and we don't see Trinity. You know, like, I think sometimes people read the Bible really odd. You see this truth all over the place. And just because you don't see the word, you say, oh, it's not there. I'm saying, well, did you see the baptism at Jesus that John the Baptist is? Did you go back to Genesis and read? Do you read all the time and talk about the Spirit and the Son and the Father? So I throw that in there just to let you know that when we baptize people, we do it in a process that Jesus said because it's important. We don't get to choose that process. We don't even get to choose the words we're saying. I know a lot of people say it's not really important, but I think the words are important. I don't think Jesus would put them there if they wouldn't. 
If they weren't important, I don't think they'd be in our Bible. So I'm getting to a good part. I know this part is kind of intense, but I just want you to know. Romans 6, 3 and 7 said, Do you not know that all of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. We are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in renewed life. Baptism is symbolic of dying with Christ and then being raised again with him. It's a hugely important step for a disciple. And if you haven't been baptized, you ought to. Just throwing that out, that's my word. And then we get to the good part. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Well, my goodness, there's a whole lot of commands, Jesus. Yeah, well, can't I just teach them 50% of it? Nope. <laughs> teach it all. You have a saying that off the wall, say what you know and grow as you go. You teach the truths that you know of Jesus, you keep growing. But you only teach what he said. So here's why that's important. You don't get to teach your opinion. Oops. You don't get to teach what you think is right. You get to look at the word of God. So how do you know what to teach? You study. You study the word of God. You become, you become intense learners. That's what a disciple is. He's a learner. He learns, she learns, they learn. They get to know truth. That's why they sat up under a rabbi. For three and a half years, they sat under Jesus. You think he was teaching them? Heck yeah, that's what rabbis did. They taught all the time. He said, teach them to observe all that I have or obey all that I have. The word obey, which means literally to Attentively by implication to heed or to conform to the command or authority. To attentively by implication to heed or conform to the command or authority. This conveys the idea of actively following a command and not just saying it. I'm going to tell you something you may not like it. I didn't either when my disciple told me, you cannot teach that which you do not believe or live. You can say it, but you can't really teach it. You can't teach someone to be a disciple if you're not. You can tell them, but you can't teach them because you can't show it in your life. We say this a lot at Off the Wall, discipleship is better caught than taught. And so I have to be a disciple. Isn't it so interesting how many times in the process before this great moment, Jesus said, do you want to be my disciple? How many times he asked a pointed question, do you want to follow me? Do you want to lead? Do you want to be my disciple? Why does he say that so much? Because he knew it was imperative that these guys had agreed with him and say, yes, I want to follow you no matter what, because they were going to face immense difficulty, and so were you. You ever notice he said, teach them to observe 
Well, who are they observing? The Word of God in your life. How many of you guys would say, if you watch my life, I don't know if I should say that. Well, maybe I'll never be invited back, but that's okay. <laughs> that has happened before. If someone were to watch your life, they would see so much Jesus that they would want to be like him. Or would they not see Jesus? It's a question I have to ask every morning. I'm not excluding myself from this. Your life has to be part of the teaching. So I want you to teleport into your house. How do you talk to people? When you're out in a community, when you're at the store, when you're driving, this is my, my demon, driving. Because there are so many not smart people on the road. <laughs> they should not have license. I, I'm telling you right now. I'm the only really good driver in New Philadelphia. <laughs> I'm not joking. Like most of you should not drive, ever. And then all of a sudden, I had a young man I'm discipling in the car with me. His name is Michael Pearson. He said, Don, there's so many things I love about your life. He said, but when you drive, you don't act like Jesus. That's exactly what he said to me. He said, if people were to watch you driving, I'm sorry, Mayor Die, they, I'm not sure they would see Jesus. You know what I did? I said, Michael. You're right. <laughs> and so last year, I committed. I get a word of the year or a phrase of the year every year, and I try to live by it. This year, I don't want to complain. So I've been really hard not complaining. But last year, it was to love people while I was driving. That's not fun. Because <laughs> people still aren't smart. <laughs> yes, aren't. But it was so interesting that that driving was the thing that stood out to Michael. He said, I'm not sure people would know you love Christ when you were driving. Broke my heart. I went home and I wept that night because this young man is my disciple and he looks up to me. See, I'm not Jesus. When they try to correct Jesus, they were always wrong. <laughs> But when they correct me, oftentimes they're right. One of the unique differences is us than Jesus. When he discipled, he did it perfectly. We won't. That's why Paul said to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There are times when I don't get it right, and there will be times when you don't get it right. And many people, because of that, they give up. They said, well, I blow it. Well, you're going to blow it a lot. Doesn't mean we don't do it. We have to teach them to obey. Why is that important? And now we're wrapping up. I don't know what time I'll be done, but I won't go much longer. Why is that important now? We're in a culture that's diametrically opposed to the truth of God's word right now. We're in a culture, what we call a post-truth culture. We used to be in a post-modern culture where they would argue truth. 
I would say this thing is metal. They would say, no, I think it's, I think it's paper. Well, it's clearly not paper. But now we're in a post-truth culture. You know what they say? I think this is metal and it's painted black. I don't know if it's metal. It sounds like metal. They said, yeah, it's metal and painted black. But I choose to believe that it's paper. So it's no longer an argument of truth. Opinion and preference just has eclipsed truth as a thing they live by. So now we're in a culture that said, yeah, you're right. Jesus Christ is Lord. But my opinion is, I don't really need to live by that. We're in a culture that is diametrically opposed to teaching commands in absolute truth. We're in a culture. And so what are we going to do? Well, it doesn't work now because people don't want to believe absolute truth. <laughs> you think God didn't know we'd be in a culture where people didn't want to believe absolute truth? Of course he knew. And he still told you to go and make disciples. And I know that in Acts, right when he's leaving again, Acts 1.8, he's saying, you will be my witnesses in Judea, I mean Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the end of the earth. And then as you're walking through, there's a really great verse, and it talks about, you know, like, everyone who will believe, you know, what were they going to make? They were going to make disciples who would make disciples. So thus being the inference is everyone who becomes a disciple has the same calling. That's what the Bible's teaching. So here's the sad part. I get to travel and speak a lot when my church lets me. Now it's less because they want to put a collar on me. They don't like me to go and teach all over the place. I don't know why. Don't you guys think I should travel and teach everywhere? I do, by the way. I hate being in one place, by the way. I'm not built for it. And I've been here 11 years now. It's pretty long. I was in Chicago seven. I always say I hate it, but I'm still here. So, but anyway. Here's the problem, though. Discipleship demands intentionality. So a lot of us are doing it, but we're not being intentional. If you want to go back to where the root of this, go to Deuteronomy 6. It says, when you get up at night, I mean, you get up in the morning, you lie down, when you're eating, when you're walking, everything. Teach them. Teach them. The first place discipleship starts is in the home with your kids. And then it goes out. But here's a problem with the Church of America today. We become so inward focused that we think discipleship is encouragement. We think discipleship is praising and worshiping and coming and listening to a sermon. That's not discipleship. It's all needed. But discipleship is an intentional process of investing in someone's life to teach them to be more like Jesus. It is a agreed-upon process. You don't do it by mistake. You don't do it without them knowing it. You sit down and you say, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if they say yes, you come up with a plan. Even your kids 
You say, well, we naturally disciple. Do they know they're being discipled to look like Jesus? Have you talked to them about it? Your grandkids, your friends, do they know? Because that's part of the process. The rabbi comes and says, follow me. He said, I'm going to teach you everything. And then I want you to teach others. It's intentional. It's not mistake. It's not casual. But it's also loving, and it's effective, and it's hard, and it's going to cost you. And I will end with this. It will cost you much more in this world than you'll get back out of it. But you will receive much more in eternity than you will ever put into it. It's worth it. And it's also the only process that changes people. There's no other process that does. We can have behavior modification, but transformation of someone's heart and life can only happen through a God who transforms. There's no other way true transformation happens. And the process by which transformation happens is discipleship. And the power of the Holy Spirit coming in alongside of this process and literally changing people. Now, some people are going to argue, oh, God, Don, the Holy Spirit can transform people without us. Right, he can. No doubt about it. He's God. But the problem is my shoe came off. He left us the responsibility of making disciples. He didn't need us. He simply said, I want you. I want you to jump in. The reason why so many Christians are being defeated in their everyday life is we haven't bought into the process of discipleship. And so we send people out, and there's a world ready to tear them apart, and they're not equipped with the word of God and the truth of, of Scripture to stand. And then we look and say, well, what happened to them? But we never look inwardly and say, and we made a whole lot of converts, but we made very few disciples. And so my heart for you, my heart for me, is that we will stand before the Lord and he will say, well done. If you want to know a good model Outside of Jesus, look at Paul. He has some really awesome disciples. Guys, I love you. But until we get this right, we're going to continue to see young people, old people, all people who love Jesus with all their heart, and they will be defeated consistently by this world because they don't know the Word of God. They haven't been discipled, and they don't understand the battle that they're going into. And that's not on them. That's on us.